This morning we will be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And we will wrap up the first chapter of this glorious book. During the past three weeks, we have studied through Paul's opening doxology, or his opening word of praise to God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And hopefully we remember Paul's progression of this from the last three weeks. In part one, we learned praise God the Father who has chosen, who has predestined, who has adopted a people to himself. In part two, it was praise God the Son, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed the children of God via his work on the cross and who will unite all things under his headship. And in part three, it was praise God the Holy Spirit who has sealed the children of God. They are God's possession and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. He is our down payment, our first fruits, our first installment of our eternal inheritance. But what is unique about this Pauline letter is that it, the book of Ephesians, is the only letter of Paul's, according to scholars, that include both an opening doxology in the introduction and also a prayer of thanksgiving or thanksgiving meditation. Thus, we will see today an outpouring of thankfulness from Paul for his brothers and sisters and Christ. And let me tell you, church, it is refreshing. Because thanking God for your brothers and sisters and Christ and their spiritual growth and their faith, it is not something we see consistently within our society. In a joke I read, a four-year-old boy was asked if he wanted to pray before dinner. The little boy agreed, and so his family members bowed their heads in expectation, and he began his prayer thanking God for all of his toys, naming them one by one. And then he thanked God for all of his teachers at school and at Sunday school, all of his friends at school and at Sunday school. He thanked God for his extended family, his grandmother and grandfather, aunts, uncles, cousins, and then he began to thank God for his family. He thanked God for his mommy and his daddy, and then he paused, and everyone waited and waited, and after a long silence, the four-year-old looked up at his mother and said, if I thank God for my brother next, will he know I'm lying? And yet, so too don't we struggle to praise God and thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which takes us to our thesis this morning, the two main themes that we will be looking at from the text this morning. It is this. In prayer, thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ and in their maturing faith. And pray that they may know God more and trust in his redeeming power in their lives. In prayer, thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for their maturing faith. And pray that we may know God more and trust in his redeeming power in our lives. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 1. We are in verses 15 through 23. I'd highly recommend you following along in the text in your Bibles this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The Apostle Paul, he writes, For this reason... 
Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this text this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your redemptive work on the cross. We thank you for the gift of the church and our brothers and sisters in Christ who build us up, who encourage us, who edify us. Lord, I pray that as we go through this text this morning, that our knowledge and our devotion to you, God, that it grows and it compels us to love our brothers in Christ our brothers and sisters in Christ more. Let us know, Father, this morning how much you loved us. When we were enemies of God, you died for us. And in knowing that love, Father, teach us and compel us to love each other more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first of two points this morning is this. In prayer, thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for their maturing faith. In prayer, thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for their maturing faith. Verses 15 and 16 this morning says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Again, point one, in prayer, thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ and for their maturing faith. But how exactly do we identify our brothers and sisters in Christ? To the children that are here this morning, I have some questions for you. And you can feel free to yell out the answer. Guys, I'm depending on you. All right, are you ready? When you see an animal, and the animal is white, it has black spots, it gives milk, it lives on a farm, eats grass, and goes, moo, what animal is it? What animal? A cow, good. All right, let's try again. Just yell it out. You see an animal that is pink, plays in the mud, eats slop, goes oink, oink, oink. What animal was it? A pig. Very good. And just as God has made animals to possess certain characteristics and certain traits, so too has God made his children to display certain traits and certain characteristics. And we see two of them here in the text. Paul says in verse 15 that they are faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they have love toward all the saints. 
In essence, as we saw last week, these are who will receive the eternal inheritance Paul talked about. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ and who love Jesus Christ and who also love each other. Paul is hearing about their faith, their root in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and their love, their growing fruit from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may be sitting there thinking, wait, shouldn't Paul know these people Already, since he ministered there for about three years, he shouldn't have to hear about their faith. He should know whether they have faith or not already. And I'll caution you, say, remember, please, that Paul likely wrote a circular letter to churches throughout Asia Minor. Paul also has not ministered in the Ephesus area for about five years when he wrote this letter. And also, please note that Ephesians is a prison epistle. Paul is likely in Rome on house arrest when he wrote this letter. And the point of all this is that Paul doesn't know all the individuals who make up the church in Ephesus. Paul doesn't know all the individuals who make up all the churches in Asia Minor. And Paul certainly does not know all the individuals who are reading this letter. But through his correspondences, through the visitors that have come to him while he's in prison, and the letters he has received when he is in prison, he hears about their churches. He hears about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, their love for each other, and he knows that they are his brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is not shocking because faith and love for Christians, it goes hand in hand. Faith in Jesus Christ naturally produces fruit, an outpouring of love toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this part is interesting. Our love, it is not just an outpouring of love toward Christians the same age as us. It is not just an outpouring of love toward individuals who are the same sex as us, who agree with every point the same way we do, who have the same vision of the church as us. Verse 15 says, it is a love toward all the saints. And it's funny, the Greek word that we get all from is pantas, which means all. It means every. It means whosoever. It means any. As Christians, our love does not single out which Christians we are to love and which ones that we do not need to love. Christian love, it does not segregate based off race. It does not separate based off age. It does not favor based on intellect. Christian love, it is universal. It is wholesale. It is sweeping. It is blanket. It is indiscriminate toward all the saints. Christian love, it is bold. It is brave. It doesn't care what others think. It is real. It is genuine. And it is authentic. An unknown source shared this story about William Gladstone. Gladstone was a former British prime minister during the 19th century. And Gladstone, in announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, told a touching story. He said, The little daughter of the princess was seriously ill with diphtheria, which is a serious nose and throat infection. And the doctors told the princess not to kiss her little daughter and endanger her life by breathing the child's breath. But once when the child was struggling to breathe, the mother, forgetting herself entirely, took the little one into her arms to keep her from choking to death. Rasping and struggling for her life, the child said, Mama, kiss me. 
Without thinking of herself for a moment, the mother tenderly kissed her daughter. She got diphtheria, and some days thereafter, she went to be with the Lord forever. The point of this, that like Princess Alice's love for her daughter, our Christian love, it must forget self. It must forget our preferences, our conveniences, and our pleasures. Christian love, it must not segregate only to healthy Christians or to wealthy Christians or to smart Christians. It must not count the lost. Well, if I love this individual, it could make me look bad. Or if I spend time and love this individual, it's going to cost a lot. It's going to take a lot of time. But we must love all the saints in an authentic and genuine and Christ-minded way. Jesus Christ said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Thus lovingly, let me ask you this morning, church, do we love all the saints that are here? And I am not asking if we are cordial with all the saints. I am not asking if we play nice with all the saints. I am lovingly asking this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you examine your heart, is your attitude one of love toward all the saints that are here? And you may be sitting there this morning thinking, love everyone? Like everyone? I mean, Wes, I know you are new and have this youthful, ignorant zeal about you, but millennials, they are hard to love with their beards and their skinny jeans. What are you laughing at? Or maybe you are thinking it's baby boomers who are tough to love or Gen Xers who are tough to love. I mean, we have absolutely nothing in common. And I will stop you right there and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You have Christ in common. You have the same God in common. You have Christ who loved you when you were hard to love. That is what you have in common. Romans 5 says that while we were enemies of God, Jesus Christ died for us so we could be reconciled back to God. 5 verse 8 says God showed his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16, by this, we, by this we know love, that Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Christ died for you when you were his enemy, church. Thus, let that message compel you to love those who are hard to love. And let me lovingly challenge you this morning. Let me lovingly stir you and spark you in the same way Paul challenged the church in Thessalonica as he called them to encourage one another and to build each other up. To encourage one another and to build each other up. Church, encourage one another and build each other up. How different would the church of God look if it were fully devoted to encouraging all the members, if we were devoted to building up all the members, even those who are hard to love? Because in realizing that we were hard to love, we were enemies of God, God still loved us first. Thus let us have that same mind in being quick to love those who are one with us in Jesus Christ. And Paul, in verse 16 here, hearing about this genuine Christian love, Paul hears about their genuine Christian faith of the Christians in Ephesus, of the Christians throughout Asia Minor. His response in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. 
Paul here is encouraged by their faith and their love. He is thankful for these Christians, their faith and their love. He celebrates their faith and their love. It is an example in Paul here of a mature believer recognizing and celebrating the sanctification, the spiritual growth of his brothers and sisters in Christ. There is no jealousy. There is no envy. There is no resentment in his prayer. It is Paul going far and beyond, above, out of his way to thank God for their growth and to encourage them in their faith. Thus, husbands who are here this morning, do we consistently thank God for our godly wives and encourage them in their faith? Younger church members that are here this morning, do we consistently thank God for the older saints and encourage them in their faithfulness through the years? Our seasoned saints, do we consistently thank God for the wonderful children we have here and encourage those children in their walk with the Lord in this growing secular society? Church, I know we live in an ultra-critical world where the norm, it is judgmental, it is fault-finding, it is condemning, but we as a church body, as Faith Bible Fellowship Church, we can celebrate the work of God's grace in each other's lives and we can thank God for it. Oh, that we be a church that does not stop thanking God for each other and that does not stop praying for each other. Let us be a church that loves God and loves all the saints that are here. But how? How are we to pray for each other? How does Paul pray for his readers here? Which takes us to point number two this morning. Pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ might know God more and that they may trust in His redeeming power in their lives. Pray that your brothers and sisters in Christ might know God more and trust in His redeeming power in their lives. Verses 17 through 23. Say that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. A.W. Tozer said in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, he said, what comes into our minds when we think about God, it is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God, it is the most important thing about us. 
And Paul says in verses 17 and 18 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul here prays that his brothers and sisters in Christ, that they may know God more. That God increases their spirit of wisdom. That God increases their spirit of revelation and knowledge of Him. That He opens the eyes of their hearts to see and to understand the hope that they have been called in. And as John Wesley says, the immense treasure of blessedness He hath provided as an inheritance for the saints. Paul prays that they understand the depth of what Paul has laid out in his opening doxology. That we have Christians, we have been called. We have been chosen, predestined, adopted. We as Christians have been redeemed, forgiven, and united. We as Christians have been sealed and guaranteed of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul prays that these Christians, they understand the weight of that gift, that they understand the grace of that gift, and that they seek to continue to grow in their knowledge of God, who is the giver of that gift. Jeremiah 9 says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Oh, that we may come to know God for who he is, our Redeemer, our Savior, and our Lord. And Paul goes on in verse 19 as he also asks God that these Christians may know in verse 19 what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul prays that his readers know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. John Stott pointed out, if God's call looks back to the beginning, and if God's inheritance looks to the end, then surely God's power spans the interim period. God's power is the power that has called us. God's power is the power that will glorify us. And God's power is the power that is presently keeping and working and guiding and empowering and sanctifying and convicting and disciplining and preserving and is the power that is alive in us currently, church. Ernest Beavers, he shared the story about a new missionary in seminary. And the, the missionary was named Herbert Jackson. Jackson was given a car that would not start without a push. And after pondering his problem, he devised a plan. He went to the school near his home, got permission to take some children out of class, and had them push his car off. And as he made his rounds, he would either park on a hill or leave the engine running. He used this ingenious procedure for two years. But ill health forced the Jackson family to leave, and a new missionary came to the seminary. When Jackson proudly began to explain his arrangement for getting the car started, the new man began looking under the hood. Before the explanation was complete, the new missionary interrupted. He said, Mr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is this loose cable. 
and he gave the cable a twist, stepped into the car, pushed the switch, and to Jackson's astonishment, the engine roared into life. For two years, needless trouble had become routine. The power was there all the time. Jackson had simply failed to realize it. He failed to trust it. Oh, that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened so that we can know the immeasurable power of God that is working in us and that we do not fall into the trap of living as if it were not their church. Philippians 2.13 says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that God who works in you How immense is his power? Consider the resurrection for a second in verse 20 that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. God in his power versus sin and death and eternal damnation. And after Jesus Christ was crucified, crushed, died, and buried, 1 Corinthians 15 says on the third day he was raised according to the scriptures. Death was swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This was the final outcome. Death, sin, you were a loser. Our omnipotent, all-powerful God has won. Romans 8, 11, and 12 says, and if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he then who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Church, the same power that raised Jesus Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 20, the same power that seated him at the right hand of God, that same power is working in you. It is growing you. It is convicting you. It is shaping you. And it is keeping you until you reach glory. And it is the power of a God who in verse 21 is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. It is the power of a God who is above every name that is named. It is the power of a God in verse 22 who put all things under the feet of Christ and gave him, Jesus Christ, as, as the head over all things to the church. That is the power of God who works in you, that is alive in you. That is the power of God that has saved you, that has justified you, that is saving you, that is sanctifying you, and that will save you, that will glorify you. Thus, on your days of weakness, of depression, by your sin, concerned about salvation and eternity, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the grave, the offspring of David, as preached in the gospel for the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It is alive in you until you see salvation. Oh, to God be the glory for his power in saving his children in immeasurable greatness. That is your God. Be in all this morning and trust church in his redeeming power through eternity. As we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian that is here first. Non-Christian, I would like to share with you the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek Non-Christian, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. 
thus non-Christian, if you are here this morning burdened and convicted by life choices, depressed about your family or your marriage, if you are troubled by insecurity, fear of man, low view of self, please hear me. Non-Christian, there is only one with the power to heal you. There is only one with the power to wipe away every tear from your eye. There is only one with the power to give you new and eternal life. And that is Jesus Christ, the God-man, God in the flesh, who came into the world to save man from their illness, from their disease, from their sin, and from their death. And how did Jesus Christ do it? God came into the world as Jesus Christ, and he lived among sinners. He was tempted with sin just like you or I. And yet he lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life. And he freely, he lovingly, he willingly, he humbly gave himself up for the sins of his children. He died for the sins of his children. The wrath that we deserve for our sins, Jesus Christ, he bore that wrath. Our sins were imputed onto him, and the Father crushed Jesus Christ. The wrath that we deserve, Jesus Christ was our substitute and took our place. He was crucified, he died, and was buried for our sins. And you want power three days later to showcase that he was truly God, that he was sinless, that he paid the perfect price. He rose from the grave. He defeated sin and defeated death. And the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave, non-Christian, it can save and redeem you. The gospel, the good news, it is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you receive the power of your salvation. Let today be the day that you turn from your sins that you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, the only one who paid the price of your sin, the only one who can clothe you in his righteousness and can reconcile you back to God. Let today be the day you are not ashamed of the gospel, but believe and are given the gift of eternal glory with your God. Let today be that day, non-Christian. And to the Christian that is here this morning, we have noted throughout the sermon that with faith in Jesus Christ comes fruit. It is the fruit of loving others. There's the fruit of praying for each other. There's the fruit of encouraging each other. The fruit of thanking God for each other. The fruit of building each other up. And if you are struggling with any of these this morning... I am not going to stand up here and bang on the pulpit and demand that you try harder or do it anyway, that you just white-knuckle it and grit it out, that you just make it work, that you look yourself in the mirror, that type of thing. No, instead, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that you know God better. I pray that you reverently fear and stand in awe of his power this morning. 
that you comprehend his holy hatred towards sin. Psalm 5.5 says that, God, you hate all evildoers. Church, which was us in our unregenerate state. That we sit here this morning and we see God as he truly is, as holy and perfect and sinless and just and righteous. And that we understand, we begin to realize and know the mercy that our God gave us when he saved us. When he died for us. When we were hard to love. Because when we truly know God's love, when we begin to realize and comprehend God's love for us, it becomes the Christian's goal. It becomes their drive, their ambition, their desire, their aim to love others joyfully in the same way that they were loved. 1 John 4.21 says, Whoever loves God, they must love their brothers as well. Church, they simply cannot help themselves. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body come to know God more, that the eyes of our hearts be opened as we page through the scriptures and the spirit of wisdom and revelation increases our devotion to our Savior. And as we grow in our relationship with God, Lord, help us to grow in our love for others. It is not easy to love all people, but Father, in knowing our own sin and the grace you gave us, When we were hard to love, give us the same mindset, the same patience, the same grace to love each other. And the power, the supernatural power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, it is alive in us. Spirit, help us to comprehend the hope, the inheritance, and the power we have in you and to live in a way that displays it. As we pray, let us pray in expectation that you are God and you are good. As we read your word, let us meditate on your glory all the days long. And as we love each other, let us love in the same sacrificial way that you loved us. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him is no cause of stumbling. Father, take away any cause of stumbling and let us seek unity as a church in Christ. Who, verse 23, he fills us fully and completely in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I stand here, I know I cannot do your word justice as we communicate the power and the beauty of your truth. Father, we can't even fathom your power. We can't even fathom your mercy. Father, you loved us when we were your enemies. It is impossible when we rely on man alone. Thus we pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us wisdom and knowledge, the power of the beautiful revelation, that we can see your beauty in the words, the word of God the Bible that you have given us. It is a supernatural act that only we can know as Christians because you reveal it through your spirit in and through the word of God. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds and our heart to this beauty. And Father, when we understand it, as we grasp it, help us to grow then in an outpouring of loving your church. You fill completely and fully your church in you, Father. 
Do that here at Faith Bible Fellowship, we plead. In Jesus' name, amen.